This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Anne Nicholson-Weber, and my guests are the two members of the cast of Freud's Last Session by Mark St. Germain, which is currently playing at the Mercury. Um, Coburn Goss plays C.S. Lewis, and Mike Nussbaum plays Sigmund Freud. And this is a fascinating play of ideas. The premise is that C.S. Lewis, a, an historical figure, obviously, um, comes to visit Sigmund Freud in his pretty much last days, I think we understand from the play, and the two of them essentially debate the existence of God. I think that's a fair summary of at least uh, where we start in the play. Yes. So I found this a, a very interesting show, beautifully acted, and um, uh, raises a lot of, I think, interesting questions, both thematically. I mean, for instance, is there God? That's a pretty interesting question. But also some interesting theatrical questions. So I'm, uh, I wanted to try to talk about some of that with you. And maybe the place to start is um, whether, as actors, it makes a difference to you when you're playing real people as opposed to fictional characters. Does either of you have a mm -hmm. strong opinion about that? Or even a lukewarm opinion about that? Playing a historical figure can be constraining in certain ways because of your own prior knowledge of the character or the audience's right. prior knowledge of the character. Right. Uh, yes, I know a lot about Sigmund Freud, but I made a point of not doing any uh, investigation, any research to bring me up to date on what I remember of him right. from when I was a young adult and believing deeply that uh, Freud had the answers to what was troubling modern man uh -huh. and was one of the great minds of the 20th and the 19th century, I thought. Yeah. But so you're saying you tried to leave behind everything you already had in your pocket. Yes, because him. what you're doing is the playwright's vision of Sigmund Freud, mm -hmm. not the real Sigmund Freud or your own ver version of Sigmund Freud, but his version. And you have to stick with the information he gives you in his lines. Right. So essentially you treat it exactly as you would any other play. Exactly. The world right. of the play is all you have. And, and I'll add, too, that, that it's well-written. Mm -hmm. So so we've got that going for us as well. Um, both of these these characters are funny, are intelligent, um, are interesting. So, and, and it, it, yeah, it just wasn't necessary. So you, so you, it wasn't important to either of you that you were somehow historically correct, that you trusted the playwright to be yeah, as correct as he I, cared I, about. I can only speak for myself, and I, and I think Mike feels the same way, that, that it, it could actually be a trap. That, mm -hmm. that, um, if we get to, for example, if, if I were to read uh, a book right now by Lewis and found that one of the quotes the playwright used in, in, in a line of dialogue, I would always in my mind think, oh, that came from this book. Mm -hmm. And I, and I don't, I don't want to make, I don't want to, because in this play, I'm responding to Freud. You're just saying it right. the way we say right. anything. Right. That's interesting. Well, so then let's talk about, um, uh, the challenges of a play that at least in the first, I don't know how long, but a big long chunk, um, 
after these two characters first encounter each other and kind of get comfortable, then it becomes literally a, a debate about ideas. And I imagine that that has challenges for you as actors um, and for the audience. So did you talk about that piece of the play when it's really just uh, back and forth on ideas as, a, as distinct from later on when I think mm. it becomes more and more of a personal engagement? No, I don't, I don't think we ever really um, earmarked certain sections. Um, no, Kobe has a, uh, an overall view of, of the play as being relatively plotless. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and talk. Oh, about well, it. yeah, I think um, because not much really happens. I, I mean, I, I hesitate yeah. to say that even because that, that makes it sound not exciting. But uh, for, for our purposes, there's not much plot. Right. And it, 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 it forces actors, I believe, to stay more in the moment, mm-hmm. to, to respond immediately to what the last question was as opposed to, oh, my character is now going on a journey where he needs to find enough money to pay the rent so he doesn't get kicked out of his apartment. I mean, Did you just it, see rent by any right. chance? <laughs> good, good production at ATC. <laughs> um, it does force an immediacy. Yeah, yeah. At least I find. Well, I th- and I think it's, you know, certainly um, a play with a strong narrative drive. This happens and then this happens and, oh, mm-hmm. what's going to happen creates a certain amount of a certain kind of interest for the audience. So now this play has deliberately foregone mm. really all of that. I mean if except that St. Germain has been amazingly uh, gifted in choosing to set the play right, right. on the day that war is declared in 1939 in England against uh, the Axis powers, and that adds an enormous amount of yeah, drama. That's, to that's the why thing. the play works. And yeah. then we have uh, the potential of air raids that uh, occur during the thing right, that right. describe very much these two men reacting to fear in a way that is quite similar, in spite of their differences about uh, beliefs in God. Right. Um, and these things happen to not only. Uh, create drama, they also bring the two men closer together in spite right. of their differences. Right. 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 There's a um early in the play, within the first I'd say fifteen minutes, war is declared and they're in the same room together mm-hmm. and they both hear it together on the radio. And I think that that allows like Mike said, an an, an intimacy between the two of them mm-hmm. that colors, I think all of their debates. Right, right. Well, and, and you could say on the one hand, um, I mean, this is a two-character play, and the two characters, at least on the surface, have been, uh, couldn't be more different, right? You have someone who's very old and someone who's very young. You have someone who's a German Jew and someone who's a Brit, British Catholic. Catholic? Mm-hmm. No, uh, Church Not of England. Yeah. Okay. Um, you have, well, just that maybe is even even enough, and then you have someone who's deeply uh, atheist. That's mm-hmm. that's where the yes. crux of their interaction comes. So, in some ways, I mean, it certainly has been hasn't been manipulated. These are real people, and they were that different. Um, but I feel like that creates a lot of the opening act. Let's say the the difference, and then as you say, some of the events begin to reveal similarities and right. points of connection across those differences. Um, 
one thing that interests me, because uh, to the extent that you boil this down to a debate about whether God exists, which I think would be way too simplistic and leave out a lot of what makes it fun theater, um, do you think that the play is even-handed about that? And what has the playwright done to try to make sure that we give a fair hearing to both sides? Good question. Um, I I think um, the fact that they're both presented as intelligent men with senses of humor mm-hmm. certainly goes a long way. Yeah, and in 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 different places in in the show, we're allowed to make the other one look stupid. Not stupid, but it, everyone Smaller. gets points. Right. Everyone gets points. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Everyone gets points and everyone gets demerits. Well, I know that when I read it the first time about two years ago, Uh I felt that the play was skewed in favor of C.S. Lewis. Interesting. If I had a, uh, uh, if I was able to guess how Mark St. Germain, the playwright, believes in his own heart and mind, I would say that he is a believer and prefers C.S. Lewis to uh, Sigmund Freud. Uh, and in the playing of it, I know that I find there are several moments that we talked about this before that I, uh, just hate to do because in a way it's admitting that I have not the answer to that question mm-hmm. or I may be wrong. Mm-hmm. And that hurts me both as an actor mm-hmm. and as Sigmund Freud. Uh, and those things happen for me, but I don't believe they happen for C.S. Lewis. Mm. So, in that sense, I think the play is skewed. I think that the the audience who will arrive b- with preconceived notions of whether right. God exists or not will not be uh, biased in any way at the end of it. They will not change their beliefs, I right. think. But they, too, will believe that C.S. Lewis has prevailed, if there is to be a prevailment. In that. Well, for what it's worth... Two dissenting votes, my husband and I in the car. So who won? We both would have said Freud. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. So um, Good for Freud. <laughs> you had a good night. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that, that's, so tr- that's so true because obviously in the – well, not to say that I'm, you know, going to give the uh, laurels to Mike. I, mean, right. I really am talking about the play. Sure. But certainly the playwright is using, just as you said, intelligence and humor, everything that makes a person charming charming and impressive um, to to argue for either side, right? If he had made one of you a boob, that wouldn't have been fair, mm-hmm. and he clearly doesn't do but that. But not only that, in, in some way that I didn't plan, that, help, that attitude helps me to fight harder mm-hmm. in the arguments, uh-huh, uh-huh. to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's necessary or not, I don't know. But it's it was a subconscious need as an actor to help me win the argument at the end, uh-huh. if I if indeed if I can, care. Right, yeah. right. Well, and it is important. I think that you guys care <laughs> about sure, yeah. the arguments you're making. Right. Um, well, and I felt that um, certainly the ideas are very important and and quite engaging. In the end, for me, what made the, the night in the theater so worthwhile was was not so much that. It's the relationship that over time yes. develops between the two of you in front of us. 
Yes, and 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 I think too that if at the end of this play these two men did not find a respect for each other, mm-hmm. um, then it wouldn't be as worthwhile. I, that is something that I felt very strongly when I first saw this play. At the end, I did feel a very warm feeling at the end mm-hmm. when when they when you they you saw it performed before you played it. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. You saw it in New York. Uh, we saw it here with the original New York actors. Oh, the New York actors came here, right. and then you guys filled right, their, right. their role. Yeah, that was one of the problems that that we uh, had like what eighteen hours of rehearsal before. We we Stepped were able to do the show yeah. Yeah. and the director only came in for the last day and we had an eight or a 10 hour day. Wow. Uh, and we were able to speak with him directly about some of the issues that we had with staging and, and who concept. Who was directing and those first eight hours? Our stage manager, Dennis Connors, who um, just did a brilliant job dealing with two at sea actors <laughs> and handling us very well. He's a young man and it's incredible that he had the, the ability to do it as well as he did. Go up against Mike Nussman. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I think that's a fascinating aspect, and we had talked before about how I wanted to raise this, what it's like to step into a production that's been created by other Mm. actors um, and kind of work out your own approach to something that was staged with other people. I don't know if the, did the staging change once you guys came into it, or did you really just have to follow the same blueprint? There were a little changes, few, mainly because uh, I'm very bad at blocking. I forget it, and I try to do the easiest blocking possible. Coburn, by the way, is shaking his head. <laughs> no. uh-huh, right, I've Mike. never known. But <laughs> Tyler, was, the director, was, was uh, very good. There were a number of times when both of us agreed that there were certain things that were being done in the earlier production that we did not want to do. Right. Because you couldn't believe them? Is that why? Yes, or because we didn't think it was the way it should be done. As actors, we had other choices. That's all. Right. And uh, Tyler was very, very uh, uh, open and and liberal about letting us make a lot of our own choices. Mm -hmm. There were some that he insisted on, and... Mm -hmm. It was his right, and mm-hmm. he, he knew what Mark St. Germain wanted mm-hmm. better than we did, of course. Right, right. But that that was one of the good things about uh, not having a director and then having him for a very short time. Right. <laughs> we created the play ourselves. Right. Yeah, I, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine to an extent that might happen anyway in a two-hander, that the actors may have more to say about how a play evolves because there's not as much traffic direction to do. Right, right. And there's two of you against one of him. I don't know. I, I thought it was just speculation. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. But I could picture that you, you you, both are on stage so much, you own the play in a way that you don't with smaller roles. But anyway, you're, you're saying maybe. maybe. Yeah, I guess I've never get given that much thought. I do know with a, two, uh, a two-hander, it, it does require uh, a, lo- a, a lot more... Um, um, attention. Neither one of you leaves the stage for more than right. Thirty seconds. There. Yeah. Thirty right. seconds. That's all. It's also kind of exhilarating too. Once that play starts, you're in it. There's no sense yeah. of 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 sitting backstage and worrying about. Oh, I hope that next scene goes well. You're there. Right. Whatever you bring into it when you walk in that door is 
is is what you got. Right. And you get and, on that merry go round, yeah. and you're not getting right. off, off until the and end. it just keeps going faster and faster mm-hmm. and faster, yeah. which is a part of the challenge for the actor and a part of the great fun mm-hmm. to sit down and then make sure that Kobe and I are are focused so intently mm-hmm. on each other that the moments the play rushes by. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Sometimes I think, some nights I think, wow, we're here already. (laughs) (laughs) Did we skip something? (laughs) And we might have. (laughs) Well, let me ask you something, um, just this is a detail, but I found it so interesting. Where I was sitting, it looked to me an awful lot like the stage is raked from audience right to audience left towards Freud's couch. Mm. That the entire that the gravity is pushing you down towards the couch, <laughs> and and the way I understood that was there, there's a struggle between the characters about whether this is going to be kind of a meeting of equals or whether Freud is going to treat or analyze Lewis. That mm. seems to happen. Lewis is kind of trying to stay away from the couch early on. Fear of the couch, yes. Fear of the couch, yeah. and then and then it's flipped. Um, because Lewis treats Freud in the sense that, uh, in, in the context of the play, Freud is dying of mouth cancer and in yeah. great pain. And at one point, um, you, Kobe, as, as C.S. Lewis, have to help mm. him medically. So anyway, I didn't know how you guys understood that rake, but I, I was interested if you had theories about it or it just is there. Something you I just with. knew it was raked. I was not aware that it was raked in the direction yeah, of the I never couch. thought about that. That's interesting, that's a though. beautiful insight. If yeah. it is, I'm sure that it was the designer's uh, intention and I think it makes enormous sense, <laughs> but, but it wasn't. I was Something not aware of it of before. It. I, I do, I do, I do always have the sense though that that because of what it is, Freud's couch. It's a it's 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 a powerful spot on the stage. Yes, right, right. That's definitely yeah. true. And that goes back to what Mike said right at the very beginning that people come in with preconceptions, with baggage, with associations that are very powerful for this play. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, it sounds like you all, one of one of the jobs you had to do was to le- let go of that. I mean, you can't make the audience let go of it, but you're trying to get past it yourselves. Yeah, to hope that they will hear the words we say f- in a fresh way that will help them to uh, reassess the way they think. Yeah. One way or the other, I don't care right. where they go. but. right. So long as they rethink the issue and walk out of the theater saying, well, you know, I don't agree with that. I think that this is the way it should be, and mm-hmm. follow the argument in that sense. Mm-hmm. If people continue to discuss the play after the play, right. that is all any playwright can hope for. Right, right. Well, let's go to um, something that I found very dramatic, uh, and this is this is perhaps another, I won't say gimmick, another tool that the playwright used to create dramatic tension, and that is Freud's pain. Um, and we're told that he's had um, multiple surgeries to remove cancer in the mouth, and at this point he basically doesn't have a, a roof of a palate, right? Mm-hmm. Is that right? And, yes. and he has a prosthesis, which is incredibly uncomfortable and even painful. And Mike, this may seem like a goofy question, but Images of your physical pain, of Freud's physical pain on stage, were very strong for me. And I wonder if you can explain, other than the obvious of putting your hand to your face, you know, and things like that, 
how do you, what were there things you were doing that were communicating that to me, even when you weren't in the crisis of pain? Uh, strangely enough, by doing this night after night after night, this being aware of pain emanating from the side of my mouth, uh, during the rest of the day, I am aware of the side of my mouth either being sort of painful or not being painful, mm -hmm. but I'm aware of your, it. Your consciousness is uh, yes, in it. Yes, it yeah. is a, uh, I don't know if it's a technique of all actors, but uh, once you focus on a specific area, really focus on it, it is so easy to engender the sense of pain that makes it feel real out mm, there. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, it may be a trick, but it, uh, it I don't consciously trick to do it. Mm -hmm. I I just let it happen and believe in it. So it sounds like what you're saying is it's a lot to do with attention, just pain, that what pain does is make you pay attention to a very particular part of your body. Yes, and the important thing is that the pain gets greater and then it subsides. Right. But he is throughout always uncomfortable. There are times when it's not you're not aware of it, but he is. Yeah. And I don't know if this brings us back. You had mentioned, Mike, that there were things you didn't like to do, points you didn't, you didn't, um, you felt like you were being undermined essentially by the playwright. Is that a fair statement? And I wonder if that encompassed, you know, Freud gets pretty querulous in his age and his pain, and he becomes kind of a baby at points, um, mm -hmm. as I'm sure many people with that advanced stage of cancer would. But um, is, is that one of the things you meant, or were you talking no, about something no. else? What no, were you I'm talking about, about literal arguments mm -hmm. within the play that I think are... Could have been uh, stronger. Could Yes, could have been much stronger. Uh -huh. right. yeah. Interesting. No, I think the, the querulousness and the anger and the eruptions of anger and, and uh, unhappiness at what C.S. Lewis keeps... F saying and this this beautific joy that he mm -hmm. radiates all the time makes me even angrier. <laughs> right. uh, th that's a part of the character as written, I believe, yes, and right. as I try to to recreate. That's another one of the sort of dyads between the two of you. The the um, uh, this serene joy that at his best Lewis gets, and the kind of quetchy uh, <laughs> anger that that characterizes yeah. Freud. Um, well, can you talk a little bit about how you experience the audience in a play like this? Is it so intense between the two of you that you don't very much? How much are you tracking no, the audience very, response? Very much, very much. Um, fortunately, there's a there's a lot of humor in this play. Mm -hmm. So, so there are, there are, there are, are are sections of this play that there's some nights where it feels like we're doing a Neil Simon comedy. You know, it's um, <laughs> uproarious and rollicking, right? right. <laughs> so, so that's that's nice. Um, and then there are. Uh, it's funny after after some shows we think well I think there are more Christians in the house tonight or mm. more intelligent Christians in the house or tonight maybe there's more it's tonight was an atheist house um, and, and there are certain <laughs> lines that, that 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 I think that 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 sort of signal that for us. Um, Can you give an example? What is a good example of? Oh, uh, we we were talking about this yesterday. My line: um, the stupidity of church leaders is an easy target. Ah. It's too easy a target. Um, some nights that gets a laugh, and other nights it it doesn't. Uh -huh. and, and I think it it takes. 
I don't know what it takes. It's, it's hard for me to say because that's it that takes a bunch of Unitarians. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And 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 this play more than any, I think. Uh, the, the, there are certain lines that that do get consistent laughs. Mm-hmm. Knock on wood. But then there's. Some some nights there's a line that has has never gotten a laugh before and it just does mm-hmm. because people come into this play with such passionate ideas, um, uh, stances or, or and 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 I think that that it allows them to to laugh. Well, is the laugh? I mean, generally, in my opinion, the laughter is laughter of recognition, right? right? That's the, yeah, said. that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. So, so it's sort of like, oh yeah, that's so true. Is right. that how you interpret yeah. those laughs yes. generally? Mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. Well, so what happens when um, it's just the two of you out there and you feel like there is no sale? What do you? What happens mm. to your performances? What? How do you address that? That's the uh, one of the best things that can happen to an actor. It forces you to concentrate even more Mm -hmm. intensely on each other Mm -hmm. in a play. At a moment like that, you stop thinking about the audience, Mm -hmm. about getting the laugh. You you focus on the argument between the two men and the growing intimacy between the two men that that just overwhelms the whole situation. It, in some ways, it can be an easier thing. It becomes like a rehearsal right. where you can focus on on the intentions and uh, all of the other thing without worrying about the audience mm-hmm. and their whether they're getting it or laughing or not. Those are good things. And I will add to that. Yes, I will add that if you don't hunker down and focus on the other person on stage, then that's where you're you you can easily start forcing it. Yes, right. If you're if you're not getting them and you keep trying, trying you know, and it gets what does it get? Them. It gets yeah. bigger. It, what do you tend to do? With oh yeah, them? I mean, I, I can only speak for myself, but 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 if if the fear is that I'm not I'm not delivering, then then I can if if I don't focus on Mike on stage, mm-hmm. for example, then then I will I, I can easily overdo it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, on a night when it feels really inspired. How many? What would what do you say is the percentage of nights when you feel mm. like, wow, we really nailed it? Maybe three or four. Mm-hmm. And so, on those nights, those three or four nights, can you at all say what was different? What? Well, it's always the audience. Yeah, it's the I. Audience. You know, I, it, it's been said before, but it's so true. It's a fifty-fifty partnership. Mm-hmm. We we, you know, we, we do all our work, and then when that when the lights come up, they. Their attention brings brings a work too, and and there, I, I I can vividly recall one night where I thought we were just in perfectly in sync with that audience, mm-hmm. and and every it felt that every look I gave uh, Freud was recognized somehow by the audience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that's the feeling is when you feel like what you're doing is being received. Is right. that is that what characterizes those best nights? Yes, except that uh, uh, even on days when we don't think we're being received, we still can be received. We we go out there and we talk to certain, some members of the audience, and they've been astonished and wowed, and they mm-hmm. yeah. they couldn't be more appreciative of what the play said to them. Right. So uh, a vocal response, or even a uh, an unfelt response from the audience can sometimes mislead you. Right, right. It is not 
always necessary that they laugh at all the lines. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It is just necessary that they allow themselves to be moved by what they saw. Yeah. And, 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 and also as actors, we have to know that, that on the nights that we feel particularly inspired, the next night where we don't, the 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 shift is not that great. Right, you you're know? we're within a pretty small right, band. Right, exactly. But exactly. that you perceive these tiny little differences, right, and yeah. I in the audience right. wouldn't have a, a clue what the difference is. Well, um, it, it's I can't resist my talking to you just for a minute as a a veteran actor. <laughs> um, how long have you been in Chicago? Well, I was raised in Chicago. I'm, uh, I went to high school and grammar school in Chicago, Von Steuben High School in Albany Park. Uh-huh. I went to the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And oh, so you went far. So many years ago, it right. was probably just a small schoolhouse. Uh, now, my life has been in Chicago mm-hmm. almost entirely, and I've been working in theater for almost 60 years. Wow. Uh, you're probably the only actor who's ever going to play this part of Freud at age 83 who's actually older <laughs> than the character, uh, if I had to guess. Well, I just want to ask you, um, having acted for 60 years, what has changed in your understanding of the art of acting? I don't try as hard. Mm. I think... That's the main thing, except in terms of learning lines that I spent a lot more time on. <laughs> right. But the, uh, the amount of effort I put into creating a role is much less than I used to. I used to do a lot of uh, studying and writing notes and backstories and, and all of those things. And I don't do any of that anymore. And, I hope that what happens is that in spite of what you see me do as Freud, that it's simplified mm-hmm. the work that I do on stage, which is always the ideal of all actors, right. to get there as simply as possible. Well, all, all artists, I think, right? Yes. I mean, it, yeah. it, many older artists talk about that effort to yeah. make, it, make it simpler. Um, is that advice that a younger actor can take or is it just developmental that you have to act one way when you're 30 and another way when you're 80? No, because it's always a truism in theater and in everything else. Just do less. Mm -hmm. Trust the words. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think all actors aim at that. It's just it becomes easier when you've had more experience. That's all. Because you actually do trust that it will work. Yes. It just seems to keep working decade after decade. Yes. (laughs) Well, so, um, Kobe, is there a question that you want to ask Mike about that? Uh, No, just that I agree with everything he's ever said. (laughs) (laughs) He damn well (laughs) Well, he's always right. Um, Good. Well, I just want to say one thing, that in the early stages, the first few what were to us dress rehearsals, uh, previews, I mean, and I went up in my lines yeah. a couple of times, and Kobe saved me more than three times at least mm-hmm. in, in two or three plays. And it was it was something that I have been grateful to him for doing, but more than that, he never for a moment made me feel, oh boy, I'm working this guy who's too old. Uh, <laughs> he shouldn't be doing this anymore. He never made me feel that way. Oh. He always gave me the sense that he was 
happy to be working with me, whether it was true or not. Oh, very, very true. <laughs> right. Very, very true. Well, you know, and again, it's it's being on stage with just one other person is is a kind of marriage. You know, you mm-hmm. you get through it together. You really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, each the success of each of you is completely dependent on the success yeah. of the other, which is true of a marriage too, maybe. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to thank you, talk to me about it. thank you. 